0: I'm gonna, s- want to spend more time on this Kinna, the next skin more than we usually spend. It's, it's an Indian that I just felt talk about. And um, this terrible Xeirah, uh, Te'chananash Imperium, E'leti Puchim. So of all the, the xerus that we could think of, all the Terramats of this is the worst. I wanted to talk about Xeirah, something that it's really painful. And that's why I think we've spoken enough about it, haven't been spoken about. But it's something that if there's any key of this gezera, and I later found that somebody described it as such, it's this gezera. <laughs> and the Xira I'm talking about is the Cantonist Gezaira. And we'll talk about it um, in the, in the, the, the horrendous Gzaira and the Khurmit made in Chal Yisrael and the and, and the fact of in Khanan This was a begin of that The, the, in, without going to the history of it, the um, in 1825, Tsar Nicholas I decided that um, there always had been a drift. Um, 1825 became Tsar. 1827 was when it went into effect. It became. He became. It became. Um, there was always. There were obligations on people to service to serve in, in the Tsar's army, um, and most of the time the obligation was personal. In other words, everybody was eligible for draft, and um, people did whatever they could to get out of it. All uh, the old stories about people um, and, and different kufis. They could bribe their way out. They could starve themselves and look. They looked um, skinny, and so on. That was, that was the um, different formats in different places. That was the way it went. The Tsar decided that it's not good, and, and he decided that each community would have to produce X amount of people, no matter what. And these, the, the, um, the, they would produce people for the army, the, um, and the community, it was the community's responsibility. And didn't really make a difference who they brought. As long as they brought people, bodies, that was, that was enough. And he, um, th- the, he said he would take, in his graciousness, he would take children from the age of 12 and up. So the, du- the, the, the tour of duty was 25 years from the age of 18. That was the tour of duty. He agreed graciously, consented to take boys from the age of twelve, and the six years before the actual army service started, they would be trained together with this with, with um, children of officers who also were taken away from home, and they would be trained together. That that would be that w- that was called Cantonists and they were they would become part of that. Um, and um, and that, it was, that was the failure that he made. The um, intention, the person who did a lot of research recently on it, wrote a book on it, the very name on this Rebyosov Mendelovitz, the famous himself was, was a prisoner in Russia. He did a lot of research on it. He's you know, access to uh, now documents and he knew Russian and understood the mentality. And he wrote about it in a very factual way Latin, a lot of documentation. Um, the, 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 the main reason for it was the Jewish problem. Too many Jews, doesn't know what to do with them. They stick like they, doesn't like them. And they figured, first of all, it would take a lot of males out of circulation. A lot of people wouldn't be able to get married. It would mean people would leave Russia, because at that time, Russia taking over part of Poland, so there were way too many Jews in one shot. So if they would leave, matov It would also, and most important, um, a lot of these kids, every pressure would be put on them to shmad them, In, you know, take a kid who's 12 for 32 years, um, uh, for th- more, 37 years, and uh, take him away and thirty-two years, it, and, and uh, what's the chances that he would stay a, a heat? S-s- but it created, the horrendous, horrendous part of it is, that since we had to supply our <coughs> own, there were people, some of it complained about the community, some of it hired by the community, lowlifes, but people who would go, and they would grab kids <coughs> off the street, and they would submit them, and that was it. It, it was one of the most heart-wrenching parishes in Kalisol's history. And these people were not picky. They would take eight, nine-year-olds and would also bring them. And they would register. It wasn't a big deal in Russia to, to register. Okay, you, whatever age you wanted to register. it was So they would take eight, nine-year-old kids and they would bring them. And these kids would become, would stay by a harsh, the, in the first period before the so-called um, army training. So if a kid was eight, it could be 10 years, he would stay by a Russian peasant somewhere deep in Russia who treated as the Jew boy. And if he survived it, which many didn't, um, he, the pressure on him to convert was, was, was incredible. And then there was 25 years and then he spit out and coming back to nothing. Over the Tukufa, and again, it's very hard to get accurate documentation because it was Russia and it was Russia then, but the estimates of how many kids were actually taken ranges between 30, 40 to 60,000. The survival rate of younger kids was, was, was very, very was, was terrible. I mean they were, they were treated to conditions like like hardened soldiers. and they were um, and the amount and the amount that converted to Christianity, again, the estimates range between 25 to 40 percent who didn't withstand the lachats and um, couldn't, uh, couldn't, uh, you know, couldn't still buckle of the pressure, it was obvious. And to compound the tragedy, those who survived and retained the Yiddishkeit, when they would, um, when they would come back, they were coarse. They they had been 32 years in, 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 in in a Russian environment in the army. They were coarse. Their families were embarrassed families didn't want them around. There wasn't anything for them. They were neither here nor there anywhere. It was a tragic of It lasted until 1856 when he peg it and Yosem um, Sharm and then they realized that it, it, it was of no benefit to the, to the government or anything. But in those years that it lasted, that quarter of a century plus, it created a hormonal Israel. First of all, the kids that were taken away, many of them just died on the road. I mean, they just walked them, walked them across Russia. It wasn't, you know, they they were in in harsh conditions. Many of them were converted forcibly or under tremendous pressure. It created a horrendous resentment towards the leaders of the communities it's like when your father and mother sells you away, Like if 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 the leaders of the community hired somebody to kidnap me and to put me through his hell, so what's my respect for the community? There was an there was a, a, a Christian convert named Brafman, Yaakov Brahman, who wasn't he, he he was a Yassim, and as a Yassim he was primary candidate. To be taken because there was no way to protect him, so he ran away, and he wasn't inducted. But the hatred that he had for his community, so he became a Christian. I will, and he um, and he uh, and he made tremendous service for the Jews. He he was a tremendous savior and and yet, It's like it's it's I don't know. So so what what should we expected. Mm-hmm. There's a story Rabbi Sol Salanta. There was a was, Rabbi Sol Salanta happened to be in Salant. It wasn't he was born in Salant, but he happened to be on a trip in Salant when he was an older person. And there was a lady, a wandering lady who an Amana with a Yasim, very poor lady and she made her she made her Parnassa uh she would come with a an accordion and she would play and a little son would dance around and people would throw coins. very bottom of the totem pole of of uh, of uh, society but that's what it was that was her life she, she had this little yassim, accordion that's right they 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 came everyone figured this is this is the best kid to take and they grabbed him and kidnapped him she went berserk. She went out of her mind, and she ran from door to door, screaming and yelling and and, and foaming. And she, she, and she always mentioned nobody would nobody would do anything. Reb Salanta Sol happened to be on a visit, and he said, and she came to him. And she cried her heart out, and he said he was going to her and said, I'll, "I'll I'll I'll work for it." Didn't say anything. Shabbos morning, Reb Salanta is in the shul in a big, very machabed him. And uh, he's sitting there by Kiddush, he's sitting around the table, the Chabadim, Reb Yisrael. And we Santa turns to the first person and he says, you know, you you don't carry your kerchief outside. So you don't trust the Erev. It's a beautiful Chumrah. What about going to Nefesh Mechari Mois Yumas? Yechayev Misa. And what about you, big Shat? What are your big tzitkes? You roll your eyes, launch my essence, and kidnap a child. And he went around from table to table, from person to person on table, giving him strongest Musa and saying it's Ossoff, he didn't invite his community, and he ran out outside of the home of the city on chalice. Um, it was, it made a tremendous ruckus, obviously, and blessed very, they freed the child. But at the end of the day, he started to find another child. There was no answer for it. The, um, there was, there's a person named, who was named Reb Yaakov Lifshitz, uh, he was Rabbi Khanan's secretary, and he wrote a, a historical m- memoirs called Zikon Yaakov, which um, illuminates a lot of that kufa. And he devotes a whole bunch of prokim to that period of time. And he says, I wouldn't have wanted to write about it because it's too painful, but he said, too many of the masculine. Have used this as an example, they've used this to not unfairly the rabbanim Rashiki Hillis. And he goes through it. He, he, he says, I will not, I will not uh, cover up any of the terrible things. He describes the scenes of parents screaming and yelling when, when the kids are being taken and and and, and their the, the heartache. And he, he describes it in in, in, in um, quite difficult script. But then he says, and then he says what were the choices? He said, "The rabbinim should have said not as the Tsar. That would have done the entire community. Then that's open rebellion. Then he would have the perfect excuse to kill everyone out. It, it, who should go? Who shouldn't go?" He said, and um, he writes, "It was exera of entire chalmonashim period. It's it's it, it, it was exera where we had to eat up our own children. That was exera. And 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 and, he's in, and there's a place that some safer in the haggad is drushes." He writes the, the person writing the drush writes that there's a piece he said that some so everyone's walked in. So in Hungary it wasn't this Xer wasn't so much, there was a similar it, it wasn't so but when he heard about it he wrote he says Ich mm-hmm. sein He said, I must speak out. What do you want from us? What 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 can we do with what, what's wanted by this? There were efforts made. Um, a lot of, uh, again, we've written different different accounts. Of, about half the people managed to be off the books, so to speak, the, the passports weren't, so they managed to keep people off the books. They managed this managed that. But at the end of the day, there were tens of thousands of people. I want to read some pieces. They're very, they're not easy pieces, but I'll go find them. This is on where we are and so on, it's part of it. This is, again, this is photocopied out of the, the Medlovitch's book. I'm going to take first a description of a Goyesha uh, writer who was, um, who was a, um, who saw a goish writer happens to see, happened to come upon a group of kids being taken. This person was a, a, a Goyesha writer. No, 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 wrote memoirs stuff. He says, the day after I came, I went out of Perm. Perm was a city between Ural Mountains and the beginning of Siberia. A strong rain started coming and uh, I reached a hut and there was a soldier there an old-time soldier and somebody has been serving on for a long time and he looked really worn down and very upset and I asked him what who is it that you're bringing here like well, what do you like wh-? he said he has to take people here. so he said don't ask my heart hurts I'm not the one who made this law it, I was told to do it but I know as a human being this is a terrible thing what are you speaking, what, what, are you, what are you talking about? He says, they, got, they gathered a bunch of young Jew boys, aged eight. I don't know what they want from them. They may be going to send them to the Navy. First, they told me to march them to Perm, Then they said, bring them back to Kazan. I got them 100 kilometers ago, and the, the officer who gave them over to me told me they're a real impossible group. More than a third has already died, and half of them will never make it to Kazan. So I asked him, what happened? Is it a, a plague? He said, no. He said, they die like flies because Jews are very weak. They can't go tens of hours in, 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 in mud and eat dry bread. They have no father and mother. Nobody cares about them. um, the, the, um he, he said, I don't know. What did he want for? And he said, I took a look he walked out. He saw the kids. And he said, I've never seen a more horrifying sight in my life. I said, what kind of, what kind of unfortunate children? He says the 12 and 13 year olds still were able to stand, but the seven and eight year olds, there's not enough black ink to describe the picture, the scene. They stood pale, exhausted beyond belief, with a, with a look of fear on their face. They were dressed with thick um, army coats that hung all over them. They looked at the soldiers accompanying them with a helpless look, begging for mercy. Their pale lips and the blue rings around their eyes um, testified as their physical conditions. That was a description of the guy, of what they looked like. This one is going to be a description of a Jew who made it through. And he wrote his memoirs in 1912, and he published it in Ivreska uh, a Russian magazine. And um, his name was Chaim Aramze. I'll read just two or three pieces. I remember myself from the age of five. My mother put on me a talus cotton and gave me money to put in stocker backs in Bez And in case I meet people collecting stocker, I should give them. My mother loved me more than all the other children in the family because I carried the name of her father. Her father was a rav, and she dreamt that I, too, would be a rav. My 11th birthday came out on Arab Shabbos. My father decided that for that, he'll buy me mafdeh, children in he, he tested me from the beginning and made sure that I wouldn't be an embarrassment. After the aliyah to the Torah, planned to have a little keyboard for the people. My mother baked a honey and my father sent me to the store to buy drinks. I ran happily. I said, wow, what a happy Shabbos going to be. The guests will sit and they'll have cakes and whiskey and I will sing Zmiris. Walking to the store, I turned to Varshavsky Street and a wagon was coming, a coach was coming with a group of horses. The um, Balagola was a Lithuanian guy, And in the carriage, two elderly Jews sat, two older Jews, not elderly, but older. One of them asked me, where, where, where does this person live? I said, it's the end of the street. And I'm going there, follow me. So they said, you know what, Come, on. They come in, I sit down, and they start galloping. And I say, no, this is where it is. And they have to keep galloping. Then I realized these must be kidnappers. I started to cry and to try to jump out, but the guy held me with all his strength until he finished. They took me to a very far place and there was a, a house alone and they were already near Shabbos there. They sat me down they, they they sat me down by a by a, a table and they brought me a sitter and they said I should sing <laughs> L'Chodoydi. I almost started crying, but I remembered that I was told you're not allowed to cry in shabbos So, I I held myself in and I started singing <laughs> L'Chodoydi. The um, the uh, the owner of the house kissed me, and in my heart I said should kiss you. The kidnappers sat, walked around the room, davening betveikus, singing Kabbalah Shabbos, singing Mizrach, and shaking with the slavos. Real Hasidim the teferis. And then they came to the Suda, and uh, one of them, you know, he said you're supposed to eat our Shabbos, you shouldn't be fasting, and this and that. A whole Shabbos with them. Um, that is one piece of it. That's That was the beginning of he was caught two years before the Exile ended, but he had to serve um, the full 25 years. He, um, he, another piece that just, I guess, um, he, an interesting piece, and then going back to a piece that's very difficult. Once when I was working by this carpenter, again, they had to work in these places before they made it to the army, a priest came to me. He wanted to talk to me. He said, you've learned Torah, yes? Doesn't it say that HaKadosh Brokho chose you to be his special nation? But let me tell you, because the Jews haven't worshiped God, God was angered the Jewish people, spread the Jewish people out to all four corners of the earth. Every nation has a country. You don't. You have no place in the world that you're sure and safe. And therefore, I advise you become a Christian and you'll have goods in this world, and wealth, and goods and wealth in this world, and on the Gan Eden. Because only those who believe in so-and-so will get Gan Eden. I told him, that that you told me, that Akash Baruch was angry in Qal Yisrael, that's true, but more than that, since HaKadosh Baruch is all over the world, we also have an obligation to be all over the world. But I'm wondering, you're trying to sell me the religion as if it would be some tchotchke, and you're promising me wealth and this and that. Why didn't you tell me that you make more than we do? Why are you selling me garbage? Is, is that what you're trying to sell? He said that he left very quickly to Galach, and he said that people began to respect him a lot more. There's one piece that is very, very hard, and this wasn't, this was not, um, this was uh, unfortunately not a typical. They were able to get letters from home. They were able to get money some, and he got. He said, my parents would send me a letter (coughs) um, once a month with some money. All of a sudden, it stopped. I I didn't know what happened. And I wrote a letter to someone else, a friend of mine, what happened. He said, a letter came from home with one ruble. And it says, Chaim, our former son, we don't, kn- maybe your name is even now. They had heard from someone, they had converted. Don't send us your false letters. Take the ruble, buy yourself a rope, and hang yourself. We curse you that you embarrassed us and the grandfather, whose name you carried. He said, all the children are yelling at Chaim Kizem is If it's not true, bring a certificate from the local Rav and then you remain our son. But When 25 years he sat. And when he came home, they accepted him. They realized the Mr. Nefesh that he had. But this was a tragedy that repeated itself 10,000, 20,000, 30, 40, 50,000 times. And we, we brought his children there. The Chavuz Chaim said that the, the, the Iron Curtain descended and destroyed Russian Jewry, he said it was because of this. And again, I don't know, I don't, there's no, even hindsight, the Seifer writes in Tshuva that they should have thrown a whatever it is, it was the most, it was no matter how hard of exterior that comes from outside, that's one thing. But when we're forced to give over our own children to death and to Shemad, it's possibly no worse Let's finish maybe one small, small bright speck on, on this. The Chaim was once traveling. He was in Vilna. Like, he always went around to do his xavim and things, to sell his farm. And he was at an inn. He was eating there. And there was this big rubber. Coarse person sitting there. He orders a chicken and whiskey without making bracha. He just gulps down the chicken and you know, and and and, and gulps down a, a glass of, of vodka. No bracha, nothing. He was obviously Jewish. He was sitting in a kosher place and eating. It was it was kosher in and, and the chavetz chaim was like shaking. The chaim couldn't uh, imagine such a such a adam. And he starts walking over to um, Talmud to, to Musa. And the innkeeper sees it. And the innkeeper makes a beeline. And he tells him, he whispers to him, this person is a cantonist. He's been a Russian soldier for 25 years. Whatever you say is not gonna help. And you'll be lucky if he doesn't, uh, if he doesn't hit you back. Chavitz nodded and he went on. He walked over to the person and he said, I heard that they took you as a young child from home. And you weren't certain sort of to learn anything. And you, and they tried the hardest, the czar tried the hardest to shmad you, to rip you out. And you, for 25 years, kept so strong, and you held on to everything. You're a Kaddish. You're from the people I've ever seen. I would be on my You are, And this coarse person's eyes, person who had only known beating and cursing from when he was a child, his eyes softened and he began sobbing. <laughs> and then he said, You know, if you would take on to live like a heat, you would be possibly on the highest matrix in the dark. I guess there's a prospect that says about Aaron HaKey, the revelation of. I guess if we had people like that, we'd be able to reach out also there.